How's everybody doing? My name is John. This is my lovely wife, Nancy, and we are excited this morning to continue our series. Everybody say, Breaking Bread. Breaking Breaking Bread. bread. We're going to continue our series. It's all about relationships. We have been uttering the hope and refrain that the Bible has kingdom principles and gospel skills that you can use to strengthen weak relationships and bring resurrection to seemingly dead relationships because your life is only as good as your relationships. How many of you have found this series helpful in your life? How many of you have gotten a chance to share this with somebody? Okay, this awesome. Is, this has been great for me personally. We Last week we talked about parenting, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, and you are a parent, I would highly encourage you to go back to check it out. But the main idea there was we parent best when we parent like God, and maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not That's like God. a great God. line. Who said that? That was amazing. Somebody very handsome. <laughs> wow. This is great. We got to speak together more often. Last week. Awesome. Um, so anyway, we parent fast when we parent like God, and you're probably thinking, well, I'm not like God. Even more reason to listen to the sermon. Great tips, very practical illustration there. This week, we're talking about marriage, which should be really exciting for all of us. I'm sure a lot of us here in the room are married, and so these are going to be practical things that married we couple, can... Married couples, show a hand one time. How many married people we got in the room? Make go. some noise. If you love being married, Yes! <laughs> There was your shot. Uh, make sure to be taking notes. If you, however, are single and you would like to be married someday, you should probably be taking the most notes. I'm telling you, you're going to save yourself a lot of heartache if you practice and live these out now. What we're having to talk, what we're talking about today, is not just useful for marriage, but really any relationship in your life that you want to be healthy, that you want to thrive. If you have someone in your life that you care about, put some of these things into practice today. It's going to be helpful. Definitely. So we'll, if you guys want to stand on your feet, we'll all stand on our feet together as we read and honor God's word. Nancy said, John, we're not preaching together. We're just going to have a talk. I was like, then you better get me sitting down because if I stand up, I'm a preach. We so. started practicing and his energy level, you know, as you know, on Sundays is like here. And I was like, I can't match that. I can't do that. And he said, well, then let's get some chairs and sit down. I said, okay, good. We can do so that. So if you see so. me stand up, say, sit down, John, sit down. <laughs> you, can, you can yell at your pastor. Ephesians 5 verses 21 to 27. Seven. Yes. If you're ready, you've got it. Sky Bible on the screen. If you're ready, say preach preachers. Oh. Ready? Okay, here we go. Ephesians 5, 21 through 27. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is also the savior. Now... As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain and wrinkle and any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Do you guys see why he invited me to like share? He's like, can you help me with this, please? I was like, listen, I can talk to husbands, encourage them, <laughs> challenge them all day. You know what I'm going to say to wives? Nothing, because I'm not an idiot. I'm like, y'all are perfect. Y'all are amazing. So pray. let's pray. Jesus, outside of our relationship with you, our relationship with our spouses is the most important relationship on the entire planet, and it is the hardest. Lord, I pray that this morning would be full of grace. It would be full of hope. It would be full of renewed life and vision for everyone in the room, for everyone watching online, for our crew over there in Guyana. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're married, give your spouse a big old kiss. If you're not married, 
You can just put that kiss in the spirit and pray. Sure, we can get closer. I'm always down for that. All right, I'm going to start as I often do with a question. Have you ever been frustrated with something until you realized the frustration was actually you? Anyone ever been there before? I remember vividly the moment I was driving with my mom and almost died. We were driving into a shopping center, and we came to the point where you enter the shopping center, and you have to pick which way you're going to go around the island, and she picked the wrong way. And so as we drove into oncoming traffic, coming at us directly, my mom said, I don't know what's wrong with people. They don't know what they're doing. My mom is amazing. Mom, love you so much. She's watching right now. Mom, you're incredible at so many things. You can't be good at everything, though. And I was like, Mom, 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 honor your mother and father, right? That was last week. I was like, Mom, um, that sign there is sort of important. And she's like, Oh, those fingernail signs, I, I don't even know what those mean. Let me show you the fingernail sign up here. Do we have the fingernail sign? Do you see the fingernail? You see, not the arrow, the other little, she's like, I never know what to do with the fingernail signs. I'm like, Lord have mercy. Mom, how long has this been going on? She's like, I've never known what they mean. I'm like, how, some of us walk by faith. My mom drives by faith. I'm like, how in God's green earth has this happened? I was like, mom, what this? And I had to go on and unpack the fingernail sign. I'm like, you know, you're supposed to go, the arrow is the direction that you're supposed to go. And now she knows what fingernail signs mean. But I remember this, this hilarious moment as my mom was sure that everybody else, you know, didn't know how to drive. And these traffic signs are horrible and everything is structured poorly. When in actuality, the culprit was who? It was her. I say that to say I think this parallels in a very appropriate way with how our culture interacts with marriage, right? If the, you can't blame the signs if you're not following them as intended, and you can't blame the manufacturer for some product if you did not follow the manufacturer's instructions, and in much the same way, when we like to blame the institution of marriage or the construct of our partner, we cannot blame the institution when we're not using it as intended. Amen. Who designed marriage? Any guesses here? God, right? Always the right answer in church. God designed marriage. Here's my core premise. Marriage is not fundamentally about your happiness. It's about your holiness. Marriage is not, now I, I, what I'm saying, what I'm not saying is that you won't be happy. Nancy and I are very happy in marriage, right? There are happy moments in marriage, but marriage by its very design is not designed to bring you happiness. That was good that no married people say amen there. It's designed to help you grow in holiness. Now this is important on the front end because I know we all know this, but right now in the state of our marriage union, we're about, flip a coin, 50% of the marriages are gonna go, 50% of the marriages are gonna end. That's where our culture's at right now. Church is a little bit better, but not, it's relatively similar. And in the pandemic season, all of it has gotten much, much worse. All of the factors when it comes to marital health and thriving. So if you're here and you're starting to feel lies from the enemy, putting shame in your lap, let me just level the playing field. Marriage is hard. You can amen that, everybody. Marriage is hard. In fact, we, we talked about last week how any, some of the most difficult relationships are the ones closest to us, right? And so uh, family relationships are challenging. Parenting relationships are challenging. If the closest relationships are the most difficult relationships, then marriage is the most difficult of the most difficult. But there's hope. 
there's hope. Because here in the scriptures, according to the manufacturer's instructions, God has designed marriage to reflect the gospel, to reflect his love, to reflect his goodness, which means if God designed it, he is willing and eager to help if we would only ask married people and every people, can you look up in the air and say, God help? God help. If you went into marriage expecting it to make you happy, God bless you. You're in the right place because marriage is beautiful and there's wisdom in the scriptures in order for your marriage to thrive. And so I'm excited to share that wisdom with my partner of over 10 years of marriage now, my lovely wife, Nancy. Three keys to a great marriage. Hey, you can give it up, that's exciting. Three keys to a great marriage. I'm gonna let Nancy kick off the first one. If you're not taking notes yet, I would encourage you to start taking them now. Nancy, take it away. All right, three keys to a great marriage. I love that, that phrase. Marriage isn't about your happiness, it's about your holiness. To encourage you, however, and I think Pastor John alluded to this, he said it, it, it can be happy, right? I, the goal, I think, out of this, would people would walk away feeling encouraged, strengthened, and have vision for what their marriage could be if you're not there in that current situation. So point number one is this, great marriages require humility and teachability. Great marriages require humility and teachability. We're gonna jump back to Ephesians verse 21. We read it earlier, it says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you've been around church long enough and you've heard talks on marriage before, you've probably heard this phrase used, submit, submission, and it's scary. I'll tell you, when we were dating, um, we were in, we did like pre-engagement counseling, which I, which I loved, and um, we talked about this word submission, and um, somebody referenced in Genesis where it says, well, I mean, look at Eve. God created her as a helper. She was Adam's helpmate. I mean, we almost broke up. I, for some reason, had never read that before. And I said, I can't do this. I did not Nancy sign up. Nancy was like, I'm out. I'm oh, out. Oh, I Peace said, out. no. I said, I'm, I did not sign up to be a helper. I can, I don't, this is too hard for me. I don't think I can do that. And by God's grace, here we are still today. It, it comes with a lot of scary um, connotations, right? It's been misused a lot, this word submission. And... Um, it's rightful, it's okay for us to kind of feel a little bit nervous about that. When we read verses 22 and 23 as women, it can seem intimidating. It can, you maybe have that same reaction. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I'm not gonna do that. And yet first, before we get to verses 22 and 23, we have to read 21 and live this out. So verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I found two things really interesting when I read this. The first part is that idea, submit to one another that phrase one another, to me this has to do with like mutuality. It's something you're doing together. It's something you're doing with someone. A reminder to everyone, your spouse is your teammate. You guys are playing for the same team here. Uh, to me this has to do with leveling the playing field. And so I always, we say, do verse 21 before you jump to verses 22 and 23, you're on the same team. Submit is a verb. It's an action word, and this is something you have to do. It's not just, well, I'm just taking orders and I'm sitting back and, and being told what to do. No, you're putting yourself in that position. I think a good word or a similar word there, we're talking about that today is humility, this idea of being humble. Um, we had a, I had a good story for this. We were out to dinner once. Um, this was during the, the pan last year. I think it was last summer. And so we're still during the pandemic. Everybody started the pandemic, you know, working out, right? Like Pelotons took off. 
Everyone's getting super fit. We're being real creative. No one's going to the gym. And it was great initially. And then I'm sure a lot of you were like me and we just kind of like dropped off that like, let's eat healthy. Let's take care of our bodies. That was always a goal. But you know, I got busier at work. My, my job picked up. My kids were at home. I was more stressed. And so we're out to dinner great moment. And we're sitting there and I date, I, night. date night. And so I was, I ordered fish and veggies and I was, I started eating and John's talking, he said, Oh, you know, you got such a healthy meal. And I just started crying. And he's like, Oh my gosh. It's every, <laughs> every dream date night moment. What I'm like, I what do? did I do? So I start crying and I said, well, I'm trying to eat healthy because you know, I haven't had time to work out and I can't go to the gym and I'm just crying. And John is like, Oh my goodness. And um, he handled it so well. I like, you know, let it all out. And he said, Nancy, what can I do? How can I help? And I said, okay, well, and so I asked him, I said, I need help with the kids. Can you, you know, have the kids, put them down for bed two nights a week so I can go for a run or remind me to meal prep. I want to meal prep on Sundays, but I keep forgetting. And anyway, um, it was a great conversation, very productive. And uh, the waitress then comes by and says, would you guys like to see the dessert menu? I'd stopped crying. She came back. She'd been ignoring us. And um, so I said, no, absolutely not. And John said, no. We, we don't need to see the dessert menu because I already know we're going to order a slice of the carrot cake. And I'll have to tell you, carrot cake is my favorite dessert. And so I looked at John and Any I... Any carrot cake fans <laughs> out there, give a moment for the carrot cake fan. Cream I, cheese icing, obviously. It's a prerequisite, yes. So I said, um, I said, no, are you sure? He said, absolutely. You have a plan. You're good. Let's get the carrot cake. Let's enjoy it together. And I still come back to that moment when I'm feeling discouraged physically, when I'm feeling discouraged, oh man, I'm not eating what I'm supposed to be doing and exercising or whatever. I go back to this moment in this very vivid memory of John ordering me carrot cake when I was at one of my lowest and like saddest points. And what it reminds me of is how I got there was really putting myself in a position of humility, being vulnerable, laying all of my cards on the table, putting it out there. And John was able to come in and really help in that position. I will say being vulnerable and, and admitting my weakness and saying, hey, I need help is really, really, really hard for me. Is it hard for anyone else? Just me? Two, two of us. Okay. Um, they don't want to raise their hands because they don't want to be vulnerable <laughs> about it. Like, yeah. that's it. it. It's a struggle for me. And yet it is huge in marriage. I think that's a, the idea of humility. But we're doing this one another, right? We're doing this together. So it's like a mutual submission, a mutual act of humility. And this is the second part of that verse that I liked. Um, submit to one another under God. Um, so the verse, let me go back and read it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ, right? So we're doing this together. We're being mutually submissive. Under God is another version of it. It says under submission to God. So we're doing this together under God. God is ultimately the one we're, call, we're taking our, our cue from. He's ultimately the one calling the shots. He's the one we answer to at the end of the day. Jacob does a really good job of modeling this. He's a, uh, someone from the Old Testament, one of my favorite people in the Bible. And he wrestled with God, it said in, in Genesis. It talks about his life, all the ways he's messed up, and then all of the ways that God blessed him and showed him favor. And at the end of his life, he's going to meet his brother. If you know this story, he and his brother had fallen out of relationship. They hadn't spoken in years. He goes to meet his brother. And as he's walking, he, he prays to God and he's thanking God for being so good. And he's calling out to God. And then he prays this. He says, God, save me. God, help me. I can't do this. He recognizes what God has done in his life. And then says, I'm unworthy of all of the faithfulness and the kindness you've shown me. Please save me from my brother Esau. 
Jacob humbles himself and calls out to God. It's out of reverence of Christ that God can come in and kind of help us. A lot of us, the the point was um, marriage requires humility and teachability. We should be asking God to help us. God change me, right? We want to encourage you, but we also have to let you know you need to change. Yes, God is going to work on your partner. Yes, God is going to work on your family. Yes, you have baggage that you're bringing in. And yet our prayer should be, Lord, I need help. God, what can I do differently? Lord, how do you want to use me in this relationship? So I love this verse. Again, before we jump to verses 22 and 23, let's look at 21. Mutual submission. You're doing this with your partner, with your teammate, under God. Submitted to God. God, what do you want to say in my life? God, what do you want to do? Um, I love Jacob in the Bible, again, this idea that he messed up terribly. God restored him. And my mother-in-law had this from one of her newsletters. She's an incredible Bible teacher, and she wrote this. I would, it would be better to limp like Jacob and know the real source of life and blessing than to have strong legs and an arrogant attitude of self-sufficiency. I think a lot of times we think, I can do it. I can fix myself. I can work on myself. I don't need my partner Maybe, maybe, but in actuality, God has placed someone in your life to walk alongside with you. You're doing this together. You guys are a teammate. Great marriages require humility and teachability. Yeah, that's good. I'm, uh, I'm honored that you shared a, a good story about me. Let me go ahead and throw myself under the bus. If Nancy shared on the humility, let me talk on the teachability, and this is really key. Uh, maybe a week and a half ago, Nancy was coming home, she was out of town, and she was coming home, she's like, hey, I'm not feeling super great, I'm really tired, and, and I had been with Anyone the Anyone else need like a vacation from their vacation, right? We, why do we do this to ourselves, okay. So she came back, and she was like, yeah, I'm not feeling too great, and so I was like, all right, cool, I'd been with the kids, I was playing catch up on work, and so Nancy came back, and one of my faults that I know is that I will assume that everyone else is like me. I don't know if anybody else has, has that problem. And so when, when it comes to asking for help, I'm like, I'll ask random strangers for help. I'll ask anybody for help. That's what I'll do sometimes to a fault. And so I just assume if someone needs help, they'll ask me. It's not a great component of my personality and it's very ineffective and I'm working on it in my leadership. So Nancy came home. I was like, hey, babe, you good? She's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, peace. And I was doing my thing. And we come to the end of the week. That did not end well. And, she, and Nancy was like, man, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm losing it here. I'm not feeling great. I'm in all of this stuff. And I had this moment where I could choose to say, well, you should have, you, you needed to. And I said, wait a second. I know this is a weakness in myself. Like, I know this is an area that I'm actively trying to grow in. And so with every bit of Holy Spirit in me, I was like, you know what? I'm sorry. I should have asked you more proactively what you need help with. Here's the point that we're trying to make in this first. Great marriages require humility and teachability. There's one I do require to get married. You stand up at the altar and you don't really know even what you're saying. Do you take this woman? You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you take this man? Oh, I did. And I do, right? There's one I do require to get married. But there's a second I do require to stay married. Here it is. Who has issues and needs help in their spiritual growth? I do. do. Who needs to grow? I do. Who needs to change? I do. Who needs to get better? I do. If you can say both I do's, your marriage is set up for success. But if you only say one, viewer beware. It's not going to turn out well for you. And it's realizing God has placed a teammate in my life because who needs to change? I do. Amen. Point number one, great marriages require humility and teachability. Point number two, great marriages view their differences as assets, not as liabilities. 
Great marriages view their differences as assets, not as liabilities. How many did, of you- Did anyone else marry someone different than them, right? That's yeah, like, yeah, um, yeah. Opposites attract, right? That's the old adage and it holds true. Look at what it says here in Ephesians 5. I'm gonna read verse 28. I think we might have it. Oh, that's way too small. All right, I'll read in my Bible. It says, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. It's a unique uh, analogy or metaphor that Paul uses here. The same metaphor that's used for the body of Christ is the same analogy or metaphor used for marriage. Right, so track with me. How crazy would it be if, if you, you, you were in the bathroom, you were at work, you were somewhere, and you overheard someone looking in the mirror and being like, Big Toe, you are so bad. You, I hate you. You are so stupid. You can't hear at all. What a worthless Big Toe I have. It can't hear anything. How crazy would that be, right? It, it would be like, okay, let, let's go ahead and let's check you into mental health possibilities here. Something's wrong with this person. Why? Because we all realize with our body, every component has different gifts, strength, and abilities, and that's not bad. That's good. Our toe doesn't hear, and our eyes don't feel, hopefully, unless you get poked in it, right? Every part of the body has different strengths and weaknesses, and they are all necessary to the functioning of our body, and they are all to be celebrated. Hence the analogy from Paul, a great marriage is like a body when it's working right. Here's the danger. It is so tempting to think that however you're wired is the right way, is the best way to be wired, and anything else is less than. Does anyone relate to that one? So what you end up doing without even realizing it is you view all the differences in your spouse as weaknesses and all the differences in yourself as strengths. And you're set up for disaster from the very beginning and you didn't even know it, which is why great marriages view their differences as assets, not as liabilities. Now let me brag on Nancy. I am, for better or for worse, I am a believer. Nancy and I have very different personalities. I am like the perennial optimist, over the moon, unrealistic. I'm like, it's gonna work out. It's like everyone on your, your team just broke their ankle. I'm like, we'll win the game somehow. I don't know how, right? And, and Nancy is the realist. That's how you I like to like put it, I don't like to say I'm right? a pessimist, but I'm a realist. There you we just go. gotta look at the facts and then make your decision. There we go. And, and, and early in our marriage, Nancy brought th this realism and her, her, her perspective on people to the table and so she would tell me periodically in ministry, hey, I just have a bad feeling about this person. Be careful. And I'm like, Nancy, you are so judgy. How dare? I'm like, baby, you just got to gotta view them like God does and see the best in them. And you got to see, well, yeah, I know they just cussed me out and punched me in the face, but man, they could be amazing someday. And I know they see, and I know their track record. And I was like, and I just thought, I just thought I was just really mature and godly in this area. And my wife had just had to grow until I realized that person that she had a concern about, she was right. And then the next person she had a concern about, she was right. And then the next person she had a concern about, she was right. And I realized, oh, wait a second, that's a spiritual gift. It's called discernment. And I don't have it, but my wife does, praise the Lord. And I realized that in my naivete, what I thought was super spiritual, Pastor John, was actually a deficiency and there was a strength in my wife that God was trying to bless me with, but I was too prideful to receive it. And when I finally realized that Nancy's got some things that I don't have, right? This is just good Bible, right? If one could put 1,000 to flight, what's the math on that? Two could put 10,000. That's the Bible verse there. What's the principle? The principle is God in his infinite wisdom gives multiplicative power in relationships. And when we don't, if we're not careful, 
We'll view our spouse's differences as a liability rather than an asset, and they're frustrated, and we're frustrated, and we as a team lose, and God's up in heaven face-palming like, no, what are you doing? I put a center and a, and a shooting guard together. You're supposed to be on the same team, not criticizing why you can't do the different skills that I've already given you. Nancy, anything you want to add on this point? Yeah, I think your um, example was like a spiritual gift, right? Like that's something, you know, we talk about in scripture, but uh, a lot of times this is personality. We meet with a lot of couples and we find that it's true, opposites attract. And so a lot of times you're with someone and you think, well, we just need to, you know, be more social. We just need to get out there. I want to go out, everyone. I want to, you know, a lot of times it's personality. John is definitely the more social one and would love to have people over every single night. And I would extrovert myself to oh, death. Oh, yeah. And I say, you know, it, it took time to realize, okay, well, sometimes it's just family time and sometimes we're just at home hanging out and we found the beauty in both. Um, so I would, I would say encourage, look into that for yourselves. It's not a matter of constantly, of course, we're saying, Lord, what can I do? How can I grow? How can I shift? But also bringing your assets to the table and saying, hey, I'd like to try this. I think this would be fun and recognizing God wired you in a very unique way, in a very specific way. And that is to benefit your family, to benefit your spouse. Good. Amen. Jump yeah. to point number three. Point number three. Let's okay, do it. Point number three. Let's go. Uh, so point number two was great marriages uh, value, view your asset, your differences as assets and not liabilities. Our notes are, personality wise, our notes are so different. And we're, we like started with the same thing. And I'm like, you, you got too much color and like your fonts are different. Big, bold letters, huge and I'm like, fonts. No, let's change this to Arial 12 point font. Okay. So, and I have to like look at it because <laughs> we don't have the same thing right now. Okay. Point number two. Point number three is this great marriages have Jesus at the center. Great marriages have Jesus at the center. Ephesians 31 and 32, for this reason, a man will leave his wife and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I love that Jesus says, this is a, Jesus, Paul says, this is a profound mystery. I think what he's saying there is, man, a lot of you guys are confused by this. Let me explain what this means. This was pulled from Genesis chapter 2. Um, and he's talking, the one flesh, I think it's, it's easier to understand if you speak a different language. I'm a Spanish teacher, and this, um, it was a funny example. A few weeks ago, I said, the clothes is really bothering me over there. We were laying down and going to bed, and I, he looks at me and said, are, are bothering you. And I said, excuse me? I couldn't help said, myself. I know I should have. The clothes are bothering you. I said, no, actually, fun fact. And I go into this whole thing. I said, we talk about la ropa. In Spanish, it's, you have multiple items of clothes. You would think it's plural. It's actually singular. And John's like, I was an English major, and I'm telling you, it is actually plural. Are, the clothes are. So, of course, what did I do? I'm going to Google it. Let me Google it. If you ever are, the, if you're the type of person to say, let me Google it to prove the point, chances are you're wrong. It, that's just how it works. It's just how Google works. If you're out to prove the other person wrong, you're wrong. So sure enough, I read, oh my goodness, clothes is plural. Cl clothes are plural. And it, I mean, the rest of the night, I was like, I can't believe this. The clothes are. And anyway, we're going back and forth. But this idea, language is fascinating because in a lot of languages, you have something that's singular in one and plural in the other. In, um, in Hebrew, you have this similar thing. One in this, verse, in this verse is echad. 
Ehad means one, but it is not singular. It actually means like compounding multiple things. The, the exact definition was compound unity, compounded unity. You're bringing things together and it's forming one, but it's made up of a lot of different parts. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what's referenced in Genesis chapter two. Marriage is singular. It's one thing, but it's made up of a whole lot more. This is a popular verse used in most weddings, right? You hear this sometimes when you're attending a wedding. It says, there may be one, um, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This cord of three strands, that's referenced in the Bible. It's two people, right? Your spouse, you, and then the third ideally is Jesus. It's not the two of you guys, we're going to take on the world, we can do this. You really need to invite in God to be that third strand for you. Uh, In Genesis, that was the verse that's talked about there. Um, Let me go back and read it. For this reason, a man will leave his wife and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. The love between husband and wife, I love this. It's an example um, of God's love for us, of his love for the church. I I lost my notes. (laughs) I should look at his notes, right? Uh, This idea comes from Genesis. Paul is referencing Genesis chapter two. There we go. The purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is to reflect Jesus' love for us. Okay. So here's my my thought here. Marriage is ultimately about the gospel. Mm. As we were talking, there's- I know where I was gonna go. You wanna go? I'm so sorry. Do it. I love getting interrupted. It literally is one of my favorite things. Nancy's like, do not interrupt me when you're on stage. It'll throw me off. It'll throw me off. My notes were wrong. It threw me off. Um, We're going back to this idea of submission, this idea of being submitted to God. I mentioned, you know, in Genesis where it talks about being a helper. That can be so discouraging or so alarming. And yet I almost walked away thinking, I can't do that. I don't want to just be a submitted wife. I'm here to help John. I'm doing that. And I had to kind of reframe my mind. I decided to recommit or say, no, I'm in this because I got a different view of marriage. I realized my role is not to just sit here and help John, although I am a help to him. I am called to be submitted to him. I am called to love him. God's view of marriage is so much bigger than that. The entire reason God called us to get married is because he has something that he wants to tell the world. He wants people to look at marriage and say, whoa, There's a God in heaven who loves me, who cares about me, who buys me carrot cake when I'm feeling really, really down. And this, I said, that I can get on board with. That I can do. That I can love, submit, honor, serve John because I know there are people who are hurting and I know they're gonna see an example in us that says, wow, God is gonna, God is is incredible in heaven, wants to love me, wants to to be, to use me. Yeah. Amen. Um, so the, the purpose of marriage is to reflect Jesus, to reflect the gospel. Here's my request. The, one of the beauties of a church family is that we can help bless and serve one another in ways that maybe our biological family wanted to, but they were not able to. What I mean by that is that some of us, a few of us, a small percentage most likely of us have had great examples of marriage. And we're like, man, I know exactly how I want my marriage to be, like my mom and dad or like my grandparents or like my, most of us know lots of what we don't want our marriage to look like. Here's the beauty of the family of God. Here's my request. For any couples that have been married for a long time, maybe you're empty nesters, maybe you got kids and they're a little bit older, please, for the love of Jesus, literally, we need you. 
We need you. Like we need mentors, we need models, we need spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. It's one of the beautiful things about a, a church family that you can't get in just a college ministry, that you can't get in first priority. You can actually have fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. If you're here and you're not yet plugged into a microchurch, please plug into a microchurch because we need examples and we need role models. And if you are a wise one who has lived and made some of your mistakes, please let us learn from your mistakes so we don't have to make them ourselves. Like you could, we could save one another so much pain if we were willing to, to the first point, step out in a degree of humility and vulnerability. If you're married, if you're empty nesters, we need you. Please, please, please help us. Your, also, your journey is not done. Yeah, yeah no, we, we recognize, you know, in sharing that, I, I would say this, you know, we're up here today. When John asked me to talk with him, I was like, oh goodness, you know, this isn't my favorite thing. But I was really glad to because I think we're in a great season of our marriage where we, um, you know, I loved worship this morning. We just recognize while God has been so good to us, God has really been a champion in our lives. We've overcome a lot. We are by no means perfect. I have not forever said, I want to be married and use this as a testimony to God. No, there have been plenty of times I've looked back and said, God, what are you doing? I don't think we're going to make it. This isn't. And yet, you know, we wanted to encourage people today because we thought, wow, this is, this has been just such a challenging few years for so many married couples. And we just wanted to, again, clarify, there is so much hope. Like God is wanting to use you. God is wanting to use your marriage to, uh, to just change the world. And there's a part that everyone in the congregation can play in kind of seeing God's ultimate plan come through. 100%. When Nancy and I got married, we both have relatively strong personalities. If can you, you have tell? Not, if you have not sensed that. And, uh, and so our first year of marriage, people were like, man, aren't you, aren't you loving the honeymoon stage? And we looked at each other, we're like, oh, crap. The honeymoon was over. <laughs> if when this the honeymoon is the honeymoon stage, I think we're dead meat because we have strong personalities and we did a lot of headbutting. The first what, year is a lot of, like, working through your kinks yeah. and, and trying to What we had is life. an amazing mentor couple who we were in a microchurch with that came alongside of us and helped us learn to communicate with one another because we're very different people. And a lot of what we were saying, once we finally had someone that stepped in there and mediated, I'm like, oh, that's what you were saying? She's like, yes. I'm like, oh, well. I agree with that, actually. That's really smart. And so it's, it's a game changer. Okay, great marriages have Jesus at the center. Can I make this practical for you? Can I do this? All two of y'all. Can I make this practical for the rest of you? Yeah, okay, super practical. Here it is. This can sound very theoretical. It can sound very pie in the sky. So married couples want to give you a very specific takeaway. I'm actually going to give you homework. So whichever one of the, the two of your, your spouses is the studious one, you can go ahead and schedule this in the calendar, okay? Within the next 24 hours, I'm going to give you a tool that I want you to try and use. Are you ready for that? Okay, this is gonna be helpful. From our marriage in May session, this is something that Kingsley Grant, who's an incredible local counselor, he unpacked for us. It's a great tool. We asked him for permission to share it, and uh, he said, of course, use it. I hope it blesses people. So I, I wanna share this with you. This works, by the way, for all relationships. So if you've got conflict within your family unit, if you've got conflict within your roommates and whatever the case might be there, parenting, but especially for married couples, I want you to take this, I want you to take notes, and I want you to use this within the next 20 four hours. If you agree, say, I will. I will. All right. You don't even know what it is, but y'all are bold. I like this. All right. This is called the feelings jar. So here's what you're going to do. It's a specific tool as a way to connect with Jesus at the center. Step one, before you ever try to have some crucial conversation with your spouse, pray, pray. I can't tell you what, if Nancy and I are going to do premarital or marital counseling with a couple, here's the first requirement. Spend an hour with Jesus before you show up. Because I don't need you all coming up in the flesh, being ridiculous. I need you in the spirit. 
I need you humble. I need you vulnerable. It does so much. If you have conflict in your marriage, the worst thing you could do is just say, man, let's just hash it out right now. If you are in the flesh, go pray, get with Jesus, get reminded of his grace and goodness and your fallenness, and then come in ready to talk. That one was for free. So the first thing in this tool is pray, get in the spirit, get in a place where your heart is soft before God, where you're like, oh yes, I do love my spouse and I actually like them too. Okay, I remember this. I'm still pissed about this certain scenario, but, and then enter in. Here's what you do. You sit across. We can't really do it. Knee to knee. You hold hands. This is Nancy's favorite as a non-physical touch person of the relationship. This is great. I will say, yeah, I'm not physical touch. And I, I already said, I don't love being vulnerable. This is actually really helpful because there are concrete questions you can answer. Also, he said, pray before you come in. I feel like anytime we've done this, I'm in such a good mood. I'm like, oh, I can't think of anything I'm mad about, but something then usually comes up. Okay, first question. So you sit across from one another, knee to knee, hold hands, and then you're gonna ask specific questions. Now, this is key. This is not an opportunity to start your conversation and share your two cents. It's not a discussion. This is a time. It's not a discussion. It's not a conversation. It's a time to listen for understanding. The point of this exercise is connection. The idea here is you've got a bunch of great feelings that God wants to bring out, peace and joy and love, but oftentimes our frustrations hang at the top and push all those things down. You're trying to unlock those good, healthy feelings by conversation. So here's what you do. You sit across from one another, yeah. holding hands, knee to knee, and whoever starts first asks this question, what are you mad about? And then you just let them talk. And then you come up with something, not like make something up, but tell them what you're mad about. So, that, so Nancy's talking, she gets done, I say, what else are you mad about? Well, now that you ask, I'm mad about this too. She gets done talking, what else are you mad about? I think that's it, just those two things. And when she says, I don't have anything else, I say, okay, if there was one more thing you could be mad about, what would it be? That's the kicker right there. Because almost always like, well, now that you ask that, actually, there's more. And then you get to the real nitty gritty. And then once that question's done and she says, no, no, for real, for real, there's nothing else, you move on to the next question. What are you sad about? You go through that same process. She gets done, well, that's it. What else? What else? What are you scared about? And then finally, you're, you're helping them move into a place where they're feeling their feelings and they're able to share those feelings. And then the last question is, what are you glad about? You're helping them emotionally rise from that place with optimism to have a little bit of a vision for the future of what it could be. You ask and you keep asking that question until nothing is said. At the end of each one of these sections, once they're like, no, 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 really, that's it, you ask them, if there were one more thing you could be mad or sad or scared or glad about, what would it be? And, and, then, and you go through this exercise. The vision, the, the, the image here, the, all the good things were at the bottom, right? Love, kindness, peace. Like if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, gentleness, patience, they're all in there. You married someone because you love them and you care about them. The problem is sometimes they're hard to get to. We don't see them. We think, what did I do? And a lot of times being mad, sad, scared, these things are kind of blocking the jar. We can't really get to all of that until we've opened up and gotten rid of all of that. Not rid of it, but addressed it. And then all of the other stuff comes out. You let your partner share all of those emotions. And then once they're all done sharing, you turn back around and now they just ask you the questions. You're not going back and forth. You're not responding to what they say. Here, here's the reason for it. We'll turn back around here. Here's the reason for it. Humans crave connection. We've been going through this book, Transforming Fellowship, highlighting some of the psychology behind healthy, deep, thriving relationships. Humans crave deep connections. Healthy marriages are built on deep connection where you feel fully known and fully loved. And so this is a tool that you can use, especially if you put Jesus at the center of this tool that allows deep connection, which comes with two pieces, someone sharing fully and someone listening to what's being shared. 
Does that make sense? Does this tool, do you guys understand this tool? Are you willing to give it a shot? Give it a shot. I'm curious to see what you think. Great marriages have Jesus at the center. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up and they're gonna close us out in a final chorus in just a moment. I began this way and I wanna end it this way and that is to level the playing field so we all know and feel marriage is hard. Marriage is difficult. The reality is I know Nancy and I are up here sharing and we're at a really good stretch of the last several years of our marriage. We've had tough stretches as well. Right now we're in a great spot but Nancy's still gonna make me mad because she's a human. I'm still gonna make her mad because I'm a human, which is why the key to great marriages, healthy marriages that thrive is having Jesus at the center. Because if I might be upset at Nancy, I'm like, I don't wanna talk to her. If she's upset at me, I don't wanna talk to God. Guess what? We both love Jesus. So we're talking to God. So we're talking to God, and guess what God's gonna say? His kindness is gonna lead us to repentance. He's gonna prompt us with that second I do. Hey, actually, this is an issue. And all of a sudden, your heart gets soft towards God, and you're growing as a disciple of Jesus, and your marriage grows as a byproduct of that. Great marriages don't just grow because people are focusing on their marriages. Great marriages grow because people are focused on Jesus and growing as a disciple, and their marriage grows as well. Jesus is a secret weapon. His love is what sustains. His kindness is what prompts repentance. He is the ultimate equalizer. It's him. And and here's how we want to close this morning. I feel like God put a specific thing on my heart. Maybe you're here this morning and and just based off of the statistics or you're watching online and, and you're here and you're struggling, maybe individually, maybe in your marriage, maybe you're hurting, maybe you're losing hope. Here's my request to you. Let Jesus in. Don't wait until tomorrow. Don't wait until, well, it's bad, but it's not horrible. Don't wait any longer. Do it today. Whenever and wherever Jesus is invited in, he changes things for the better. That's what he does. But Jesus is not the SWAT team. He will not break down the door to your marriage. He'll just knock. And he'll stand at the door and knock. And my prayer is that you would invite him in, that you would let him in, that you would welcome him in, that if your marriage is on the mountaintop, praise God, we need your help to lean in and invest in other couples who might be in a rough spot or maybe they're newlyweds trying to figure it out. But if your marriage is an absolute crisis and turmoil, I got great news for you. There is a healer and his name is Jesus and there's nothing beyond his stretch of his hand and his arm is not too short to heal and rescue and save and deliver. And as long as you are still breathing, there's hope. Marriage is hard. It takes help to stay married. We all know that, we all feel that, we're not immune to that. Two things, takeaways I'd like you to consider. If you're at a spot where you're like, man, we could really use some help, we just feel stuck in our relationship. Number one, we've compiled a great list of Christian uh, faith-based counselors. Get a great marriage counselor. You can come talk to myself, Pastor Robert, Nancy. We can get you that list. It is immensely helpful. Nancy and I have a counselor. We'll go see to help us when we get stuck, to help us get unstuck, to help us hear one another, take advantage of the resource that counseling is to the body. Number two, we've got some phenomenal microchurch leaders, and there's probably couples in your microchurch that if you knew they were look, you were looking for a mentor couple or someone to just walk alongside of you, you've probably got people in your life right now, even within your microchurch, that would love to do that if they only knew, and all it takes is that humility and teachability to say, hey, we'd we'd, we'd love some help. Take advantage of that opportunity. Say the word, and we'd love to be there. So here's how we're gonna close. I'm gonna stand now because I've been sitting for too long. I felt like I had a specific image in my mind of how we were gonna end this service, and so I'd love for all the married couples in the room, if you're here with your spouse, if you could stand, and if you could hold hands. 
I know that right there, you're like, the last thing I want to do is touch them. I get, take it as an act of faith and <laughs> obedience to your pastor. Grab their hand, if, all the married couples in the room. And, and I felt like God wanted to do something supernaturally, even in this moment. You know, we're going we're gonna to respond in worship in just a second here. But I wanted to ask Nancy to play, pray a blessing over the married couples. And I just think God's going to do something special. So if you're here, I would encourage you to posture your hearts, close your eyes, keep them open, whatever helps you focus. But receive in faith right now the blessing and, and the grace of Jesus. Nancy, can you pray? You know, before I pray, God has been wanting to use marriage uh, since the beginning of time, that verse that I was referencing in Genesis. This, this is Genesis chapter two, right? Uh, God created the world, God created Adam, and then he, he realized Adam is alone and he needs someone. Since the beginning of time, this isn't, you know, I think sometimes we get so focused on our marriage, I'm struggling, I need help, and we realize God all along has been wanting to, to jump in, to use you, to be there for you. So yes, reach out to our, a counselor, reach out to your microchurch, but I'm just praying that even right now in this moment, you would really receive uh, from God and hear what he has to say about you, what he has to say about your marriage. So Heavenly Father, we are, we're, we're just thankful. We come to you right now and realize you've given us a gift in our partner. So we choose to say thank you for uh, using us, allowing us to be used by you for orchestrating this union. We recognize that it was you. Yes, we chose. Yes, we said I do. But you decided to put us together. And, and so we say thank you right now. Father, in all the ways that we have a hard time recognizing the, the ways that you're wanting to use our spouse to, to help us, to love us, to stretch us, to grow us, I'm praying that you would bring those to mind even right now, that people would be flooded with images of their spouse, praying for them, covering them, helping them, wanting to love them. This intimate relationship you've put us in, someone who we can be totally vulnerable with, completely open with, you're wanting to use them in our life. And so, Father, we just say, Lord, use me, change me, help me. I need your help. I need your eyes to see me the way that you see me, but I need your eyes to see my spouse yeah. and what you're trying to do in their life. So I speak a blessing over marriages right now. Anyone in this room, anyone listening to this sermon later, that their home would be full of peace and joy that we would recognize our need to grow, our need to, to be more like you, Jesus, and we would see what a blessing uh, our helper is, that our spouse is there to make us more like you. So Father, we thank you. We wanna be used by you. We, we know that you have a bigger plan for us, and so we're just praying right now, peace and joy over marriages and greenhouse that there would be a movement of, of couples that are just uh, changing the world with their testimony. People all over Broward County, all over South Florida would see, wow, God is real. God is alive. God is moving. God wants to tell me something. It was a result of married couples and how they live their lives and how they love and serve and honor one another. So Father, we want to be used by you. Change us. Help us. Thank you, Lord. We just pray a blessing over these couples. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 